podcast in the past. It was a, I thought it was a good one, but uh, we both listened to it and we didn't like it, and uh, we took it down. But maybe it was good. I don't know. Anyway, it's gone, and we haven't done a podcast for a long time. Yeah, I think it was a ju- we've been June last year, so almost a year. No, I think we did one. We did one about the Home Depot, and maybe six months. Ah, okay, ago. yeah, yeah, that's but possible. Ah, yeah. Speaking of the Home Depot, the book is finished. Ah, uh, the book is wonderful. I, I've got a copy for you. Yeah. Well, I keep, I keep, I have a copy for you, but I keep giving, giving copies of uh, to yeah, other but, people. Yeah, if if there's one left for me, that's fine. Oh, there there will be. Okay. There will be. Uh, I just have to make them. You know, I make, I make, I make a couple, and then, then a couple of people will get a, a copy, and then I gotta make some more. Uh, but uh, yeah, there'll be a copy. Ah, okay. So so not not all of the fifty copies are are done yet. No, they're it's it's still a lot of them. Uh, I would say maybe. Yeah, probably more than forty of them are still just in the pages. They're in wrapped, um, in plastic wrapped pages for each of the sections. Okay. Uh, so they're not folded. They're not sewn together. There's, yeah, there's and, there's a bit of work to and do. And did you get some feedback already from the people uh, that received the book? Uh, yes, I've got some. We've gotten some wonderful feedback. I mean, it's it's a wonderful short stories. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I'm 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 very happy with that book. It, it, it you know, it's it's such an interesting book because it was it was done so long ago and it didn't appear until ten years later. But uh, but also it it doesn't really fit anymore. I mean, we, I think the Home Depot podcast was about uh, uh, the working class here. I think you called it. So it, yeah, but but, yeah. but the 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 short stories in there are basically not really. Uh, don't don't resemble uh, what you're working on these times. What do you mean? Uh, I I, th- I think that the the philosophy, the work, or whatever you you the projects you're working on, they're very, completely different from uh, what these stories are about. Uh, yeah, I th- I think the philosophical work, especially the work that uh, you and I have been doing, is. You know, research into spiritual matters and psychedelics and uh, ego and uh, virtue and all these, uh, you know, connectedness to the, I mean, stuff we're going to get into on this podcast. But yeah, driving a forklift at Home Depot is not really, it doesn't seem related, but. Yeah, to a certain extent, you know, it, it still is probably being a, a working class person and things like this. So it was basically an unfinished project which you wanted to uh, finally sh- finally finish. Well, yeah, it, it, um, I, I always had the intention of, of, of making it a proper book after you and I, after you encouraged me, really. That's in the preface to the book. But uh, you, it was your encouragement that, that finally had this book uh, made. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if without your encouragement it would have appeared, but it did. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I like. I always like these stories. So, I, yeah, yeah I, I will pick up my copy as soon as possible. Um, but you're you're working on something new. You told me. Well, I was I was just talking about that that podcast that we we uh, we took down. There was one interesting, really interesting idea that came out of that and I, I still think about it we were we at some point were discussing 
uh, Egypt and the technologies of Egypt, and particularly the one technology that we don't understand how they're able to move those 80-ton uh, blocks up up into the the higher reaches of the pyramid. And we were we were basically saying, and I think maybe it was me or uh, we 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 were talking about that how silly it is as Westerners that we we are looking for the technological solution to how they did that within our technology and in, within our science when the Egyptian, Egyptians were moving those blocks for spiritual reasons. It was technology that was guided by a question of the spirit. And that will be the unlocking of the mystery of that technology is to understand, understand the spiritual motivation for why those blocks needed to go where they needed to go. Um, and I think that led to us talking about uh, technologies that are guided by the spirit and how we live in a time where we don't ask a spiritual question of our technology. We don't uh, create new technologies um, based on spiritual concerns. They're just based on capitalist uh, uh, concerns, you know, just more control, you know. Why do why do people make an app? Why do people make these devices? Certainly not to to benefit some spiritual quest. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I I mean also the 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 stones in Egypt. I always the example I give to people when I talk about what what I am thinking about or reading about or listening or watching, um, because it it shows it shows the people that maybe there are some skills within the human uh the human being that are for us westerners rational thinking uh logical technical and scientific driven people which are not understandable anymore actually yesterday i was watching a, a documentary it's called the uh, the dmt quest um i have not uh, uh told you about this uh, of course i mean i watched it yesterday and it, it was actually very interesting because it it tries to show that endogenous DMT, you know, uh, ever since 2000, we met in Colombia, I think it was in 2011. And back then in, we met in Cali and when I went to Buga and you came to Buga, I think uh, two or three weeks after me, uh, the, when I was there alone in Buga, somebody asked me um, if I want to join an ayahuasca or a yage uh, ceremony and I, I came. Fr I come from this very conservative uh, family, and I had, had no uh, experience with any any k kinds of drugs. So I, I said no. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't know. Um, um, but ever since I, I was curious about this, and when I lost my soul, I think that was the topic of our first podcast. Um, and I think I understand it now much much more after doing all of the all of the work uh, in the last nine months. Um, I became more and more curious about ayahuasca and shamanism in general. Um, but, but what I did not realize it is um, until I would say yesterday when I saw this documentary, but even before that I was aware of uh, the fact that probably DMT uh, is uh, part of a human being anyway. Uh, so it's an endogenous, endogenous um, uh, uh, compound molecule within us anyway um that's right but we have we have small amounts of it in e us already exactly yeah. but but uh the, 
this chemical activity, including the DMT, can be triggered by certain things. And I think, you know, the Buddhist monks uh, do it by meditation. The Indian yogis do it by doing extensive yoga. Some people go to the sweat lodge. Shamans do it by uh, drinking uh, ayahuasca or eating mushrooms or, or pain or uh, whatever, whatever methods there are. But there, in this documentary, there is this Dutch guy. Um, I, I, I heard the name before. I've never done any research about him. Uh, I think he's called the Ice Man. He can, uh, oh, he yeah. can, tol he, yeah, ca he can tolerate uh, ice cold water, and he's climbing up uh, uh, cold, very high mountains, uh, almost naked, yeah, yeah, naked, and things yeah, like yeah. this. Um, but what, Wim, what, Wim Hof. Yeah, exactly. Wim yeah, exactly. But uh, the yeah. way he's achieving this is by uh, proper breathing techniques, um, and he he creates. Uh, by doing this, he creates a chemical activity in this body that gives him the skills to do all of these things, which are now 26 times in the, in the Guinness Book uh, of the World Records. Um, so, and I think what the Egyptians did, probably more than any other civilization, um, their spiritual quest was basically uh, finding out for thousands of years how to create a a permanent, long-lasting spiritual activity that basically led uh, to uh, the building of structures, which we which we don't understand how they built it or built them. Um, but also these structures, as you said, were not a result of being spiritual. They were or were not only a, a result of being spiritual. They also served a spiritual purpose. Well, I think it even goes deeper than that. It, 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 we, we're mistaken in, in our framework when we go to analyze these things. The anthropologists are wrong. Um, for one thing, they can't understand the technology because they don't understand the spiritual concerns. But they also make the mistake when they look at the, the labor involved for building these things, and they assume that it was slaves building Yeah, them. automatically. And they assume, this, they assume this because they say, why would anyone give their entire life to build a pyramid um, unless they were being paid, because uh, well, they first said you couldn't pay all the people uh, enough money; it would never have worked economically. So they must be slaves. That's a silly assumption. What if there were real spiritual reasons for building the pyramid itself, becoming part of a monumental project, and committing your life to something like that? Yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Especially the Egyptians saw, I think, the normal life here on this planet as a preparation for their afterlife. So why shouldn't this apply? Uh, to the more uh, average person, and and not only to the uh, uh, to the pharaoh. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 just the, the there's these assumptions that are made. Um, they're extreme biases, fundamental biases, uh, and you. But you see these biases all the time playing out in Western life. Um, one of the biggest biases is this 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 concept of the individual, which has been created as a as a product of uh, states, uh, cities, and uh, technologies that we use. And um, it's not apparent that in history the individual has always existed, as we're talking about, uh, you know, in the last you know number of thousands of years. Um, the I, the concept of identity and all these things these are these are these are things people tend to think as being always there and then analyzing history uh, looking back very far and thinking that these things would always be present and assume they would be present but they're not present in the same way and they may not even be present at all um, that's 
some of the exciting stuff is that we can look at Inuit and we have these cultures that are certainly not Western and they're certainly not agricultural and they have not had city life and anything like we've known. And you can look and say, well, what is the concept of identity for these people? What, you know, in their language, how do they talk about certain things? And there's a lot we can learn from that. But these anthropologists and people don't really do that. Um, they don't. They're not interested in what these people have to say about their own lives. They're only interested in observing them and, and uh, coming to their conclusions within an economic and uh, philosophic framework, which is very biased to begin with. So we make the mistake with Egypt. It's a huge mistake. But we've made this mistake with so many people, um, even people that are alive today, uh, uh, cultures that are very different. Okay, but uh, but you came across some anthropologists that were the, were com the complete opposite as well, right? That, that, that well, I, I would say that, yeah, Knud Rasmussen is, uh, he's not really an anthropologist, but that's probably why he was so good at what he did. Uh, all of the Inuit studies and all of the the very early contact with Inuit, all of the stuff that we have is because of Knud Rasmussen, particularly all of the cultural items, the cultural things, because he was the only one really interested in the shamanism and the and the spiritual stuff and the poetry, and he, he that interested him a lot more than uh, scientific and geographical studies. Um, and he also could speak uh, Inupiat fluently, mm -hmm. so he was accepted. But... Uh, it's interesting that we have this figure who's not an anthropologist and he's not a scientist. He actually had uh, very little education. Uh, I, I, this is the guy that uh, is the expert, really. It's wonderful stuff. Yeah, is, isn't it all uh, many times like this that uh, actually the non-experts are doing a much better job in uh, uh, finding out what is actually going on? Uh, well, it... It begins with the, those biases. He didn't really have those biases. And also, uh, he's, he was willing to listen with an open mind to what people were saying and take them seriously. I always think back to the um, – you know that there was that uh, the Northwest Passage that the explorers were looking to navigate in the 19th century, and there were all these ex uh, shipwrecks and people that tried to, uh, to, to get through it. There was a famous one by an English – two English boats, and they were both completely lost. And it was just uh, in 2014 that they discovered where they were. But what's interesting is that <laughs> to discover them, they talked finally to the um, Eskimos that were living in the region who had songs about the exact location of the boats. Okay. So the Eskimos have known where the boats have been, where they sunk, because they've been singing about it. They sing their history, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And these songs have been passed down. But no one took them seriously. It, it, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's the same all the time. I mean, read books, uh, uh, or read the book written by uh, by George Catlin, um, read or by uh, Claude Levi Strauss. All all of these people have some myths and legends, and everybody is just thinking, okay, these are just some fairy tales. Uh, but maybe there is some uh, deep truth, very old truth, maybe uh, behind all of these stories that they're, they're singing, they are having in their poems or whatever. I mean, and and maybe that's it. That's a very good way to preserve them because language uh, evolves over time, and maybe by by preserving them in a in a sung way or in a in a, a poetic way, maybe uh, the the actual content. Of these words is not changing as much as uh, it would change uh, when it's just a, a normal story you tell your kids or whatever. 
Yeah. Um, we just, as Westerners, we just, uh, and I say, you know, these scientists I'm speaking about, they, they, these anthropologists, they don't want to listen to what these people are telling them. It's just shocking to me. You, you know, the, the book, uh, Narby's book gets into yeah, this he, quite he, a bit. Yeah, he proved... Uh, but he proved that he can change. You know, at the beginning he was completely. Con uh, I mean, this is why I like this. Uh, one reason why uh, there's multiple reasons why I love this book so much. But one reason why I like it so much because he changed his way of thinking. So he adopted the way of thinking as the Amazonian uh, uh, Indians uh, thought, and and actually used the language. So he tried to understand them, uh, not by translating it, but trying to look through their eyes and uh, or listen with their ears. Um, I found this a very interesting thing actually that the author or the, the anthropologist um, did not only observe them but tried to understand them with the means they actually had. Well in, in, in getting into in getting into Narbi, um, the the interesting thing is and he remarks about it is um, we are willing to accept that these um, these tribal people in the Amazon have discovered all of these medicines, and these medicines are effective, right? And they've and but then when you ask them, how do they figure out how you have to dig up this root and bring this thing over here and boil they it? Don't believe and them anymore. Do all these advanced things. When they ask them, how did they how did they discover this? The answer is, oh, the uh, mother, plants told uh, me. The, the, the told ayahuasca, me. the ayahuasca told me. And that the scientists reject. Yeah. Okay, they accept that they, they accept the discovery, right? But they refuse to accept the source of the discovery. They think, and Narby gets into this. He says the the, the the ability, the ability to actually put these things together among all of the plants of the Amazon is like it's the probability is minuscule. Like, the, and they've done it. And how many different uh, medicines yeah. and discoveries have they made like this? It's so For many. all sorts of diseases. So, exactly. So the question then becomes. What anthropologist, and I mean Narby, I mean Narby perhaps could be doing it, but who is willing among these these experts to take them seriously enough to want to consume enough ayahuasca to you know like he describes these these um, these medicine men as being able to consume like incredible amounts of ayahuasca through this very rigorous training, and it's through this rigorous training and ayahuasca consumption that the plants communicate with them and tell them tell them things. Um, that seems to be like the next step. Like, who is willing to undergo that uh, very, very severe uh, uh, education in the jungle? Uh, you know, it, yeah, it's it's definitely, uh, or it's very unlikely to be a Westerner probably uh, that goes the same path as as the Amazonian shaman. I think didn't he mention in the book that there is only one one person that went through uh, the the shamanic education or the traditional shamanic education that was actually writing a book about it. I think there's only only one, um, but but there, but but I mean he, he was not the only one that uh, that uh, whose eyes were opened by uh, getting into into the the, the shamanic uh, uh, rituals in, in the Amazon. I think there was another another anthropologist who is completely dismissed or was completely dismissed afterwards. For him, it was also very difficult to speak about what he actually experienced and what what he started to think because uh, he know okay this is I'm risking my professional uh, career because uh, everybody w would not 
not only understand me but would dis dismiss me and I would lose my I, I would lose my credibility in the Western world. So I, I think m well, there's, maybe there's, there's many that, more there's out, that going out on. there that are actually thinking very similarly and just don't and, and are afraid uh, that they cannot be open. Well, that's uh, and that's one reason why this this recent interest in psychedelics and MD, um, M MDMA yeah. for for treating uh, for treating um, uh, soldiers who have post traumatic stress. Yeah, I think that was that, uh, that was approved now in Texas, is, right? I think the so. P PTSD think so. with MDMA, it, yeah, for for veterans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've got a friend who who wants to get onto it. He's here. Okay. He's, he got blown up twice by bombs and uh, shot by a sniper. Yeah, very serious, but uh, yeah, these things are. This will be great, but this this will also be good for research funding because many of these guys would probably like to study this stuff, but they're they're so scared of their like you said losing their positions and not getting funding for other things, if they get involved in it. Um, Pollen gets into that in his book as well. Did Pollen? Did Paul, um, but did Pollen get into only a therapeutical uh, uh, things, or does he also see the spiritual potential of uh, psychedelics? Well, he, it's very interesting. He gets into the spiritual potential, but he's not a spiritual kind of guy. Yeah, like, like but what, but most what's of interesting, us. I mean, even, yeah. Uh, well, this is, I kind of was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking like, for one thing, what do we mean by spirit, spirituality? This Is it like quartz crystals and like, or, you know, incense? And that's what a lot of people tend to think it is. But I think it's actually something, or, or they think it's religion or it's something you do on Sunday. It's God. It's, it's. It's, it's something that's not physical. I think the real advance of Narby's book and what Pollen is talking about is to, to, to show that there's no break between what is spiritual and what is physical. They're not separate. They're, in fact, the, the same thing. And Narby, by bringing up DNA, is, you know, DNA is this coded language that exists in all things, and it's never changed in the history of life. It's a very shocking thing that DNA has never evolved. It's the same language from a billion years ago as it is today in anything, what I've, in any living thing. What I found even more interesting about his DNA hypothesis is that it's supposedly, I mean, supposedly you can measure uh, frequencies uh, coming from the DNA and pr maybe it's even receiving uh, other frequencies. So, so maybe the DNA is the one thing that is actually the thing that is triggered when people take mushrooms and say, oh my God, I felt like uh, a, a big, uh, 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 an integral uh, part of the world and I had to hug a tree and whatsoever. I'm so connected to everything. You know, maybe, maybe there is just some trigger uh, that makes the, the DNA very active and all of a sudden you're kind of uh, interacting or communicating via your, your, the language of your DNA, the, the frequencies of your DNA uh, with the outside world, including other, other living uh, creatures. This is. I, I think that's. I think that's what what Narby is essentially yeah, saying. Yeah, this found I very I, interesting. I think if, I think if you, I think if you, if you, if you read, uh, there, there's some confluence of DMT and DNA and all these things. But what's interesting, at least for us, is we're finding, um, and perhaps science as well, is finding its way back to uh, spiritual questions through. Um, material scientific method, they're coming up to the, the boundaries, right? Pollen in his book gets to these boundaries where he's like, I'm not sure if I'm really doing science or not, or it's feeling or what it is. I think that's the kind of spirituality, the, the spiritual questions that arise. Um, so science can get to these regions um, because, you, you know, the, 
the ayahuasquero who says that he communicates with the ayahuasca uh, in the jungle, you could tell him about DNA all you want and frequencies and DMT. Like he's like, I'm already there, dude. I don't, yeah. I don't you know, your science, your science is, your science is far behind where I'm doing. So I think because we're so primitive, we've become so primitive because of our, our Western ways and biases. Um, we have a very hard road to get to where those people are with their ability to communicate with things and feel this connectedness. But I would say that that is spirituality. And it, it's a mistake to think spirituality is not something physical. Uh, it's just, it, that's to, that's to re, you know, reduce it in a way. Its beauty is that it, it, it's, it's everything. And to get to that everythingness, um, you can do it with science, but you've got to push science. I think also, and I, I was thinking about this the other day, is that philosophy also is getting can get into those regions. Um, philosophy makes the same mistakes that science does, and it's kind of born out of the same uh, biases and the same the same ground. And uh, if you get to, if you read guys like Juanza, who I've been recommending to you, he he basically uses reason and he gets to the boundaries of reason and then jumps across and he gets. He gets to where you would if you were taking ayahuasca, essentially. So there's, uh, there's, there are these pathways back. Yeah, but, but you can use Western notions to get back to it. I, I, I know you don't like that. I'm, I, I try, I try to uh, approach spirituality or the, the, for us, not understandable things uh, scientifically. I, I know that you didn't like the fact that I did this very much when I when I described what I think caused the loss of my soul, which was basically a chemical inactivity of hormones and neurotransmitters. But uh, I'm pretty sure now that this was actually the case. But it felt to me that I'm completely unspiritual. I, I felt like a dead person. Uh, so, you know, I mean, much, much worse than in a normal state. But, uh, I was never a spiritual per I never considered myself a spiritual person anyway. Just recently I discovered, okay, th that's interesting. Maybe, maybe the pandemic uh, put me in a, in a, in a position that uh, made me experience things differently. I don't know what, what caused it. Um, but but I, I, I was wrong. I was wrong though for, for I, I, I'm, I need to make the point though that I was wrong in saying that I felt, I felt that spirituality was something that shouldn't be reducible to neurotransmitters. I don't think that at all now. I think I think like when you say, "Oh, someone does breathing techniques and they trigger DMT and that's how they're able to have these psychedelic experiences." I think that that's a way to undermine psychedelic experience and say it's the cause of it's caused by breathing techniques and anyone could do it. Da, da, da. No, that's not true at all. The the actual experience is what is important. And you can tell people who have had, uh, even people who are atheists who've had spiritual experiences while on LSD, Pollen gets into this, that they're, they just had a bunch of chemical things happen in their brain. That doesn't, that doesn't invalidate the experience. They feel changed. The point is, is that you are a changed person. You can try and reduce it to chemicals and neurotransmitters, but you haven't dealt with the actual experience, right? You felt like you lost your soul. That was the experience. Yeah, I call it a non-experience. It's not something that you actually experience because you're not a person actually anymore. Uh, anyway, no, but for me, I think it, it's a very uh, a very good way actually to understand what spirituality is. You know, just because my approach um, is, a, is a, I try to make it as scientific as possible because I would not consider myself a, an esoteric person, even though I'm getting into these things more and more too. Uh, but just because I try to uh, uh, 
explain them to myself uh, uh, with scientific terms and DNA and uh, DMT and endogenous and whatsoever. Um, it does not mean that I don't think uh, once you reach the state, however you reach the state, uh, it, it is not a mystical, a spiritual experience. It, it, it maybe you know, maybe our existence, there is more ab ab about our existence uh, than what I thought for the first uh, 39 uh, years of my life. Because I, I basically did not believe in anything. I think ev everything is just an evolutionary coincidence. And this is something I don't believe anymore. Uh, I don't believe uh, anymore, yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely think uh, maybe all, all this DNA within us, all this, uh, these hormones, the transmitters, um, the molecules that are causing certain emotions and feelings and uh, whatever, uh, shivers and uh, visions, hallucinations, what or ex mystical experience, maybe this has a, a deeper meaning uh, which cannot uh, explained in a scientific paper. Well, right. And I think when you do finally get around to reading Pollan's book, I think he makes that point, which is that science has to look at the results of these experiences and how lives are changed and take that seriously. Because if the, if the therapy of allowing people who are dying to feel better, uh, for better for a long time about dying and not be depressed, that clinically actually is a good therapy. It works better than the, any other pills. You just give them LSD, have them go on a trip, and then they feel better and they're more comfortable with their, with their uh, coming death. That has effectiveness. And so you can't deny the effectiveness. But I also think is that you can't deny the effectiveness of the Egyptians using spiritually guided technology to move 80-ton blocks. You can't deny that, and you can't deny that Amazonian shaman are communicating with plants and making incredible med medicines, uh, discovering medicines. Yeah, no, um, of course. The, no, all, all, these, all the, things are true. So there's, there's just, di but it's not just, just the, different, uh, different approaches how to reach um, uh, another level of consciousness. But the idea, though, is that science can appreciate these discoveries. And these were not discoveries made with technology and science. They were made as spiritually guided discoveries, which is very different. You know, we, that, and that was one of the points of that, that, other, that abandoned podcast, which is that what if the spirit and spiritual concerns were now the guiding thing for technology? And, um, yeah, yeah, that, know, that, that, that would that, be beautiful. I mean, that, that's the reason why I'm so happy about all of these uh, Canadian uh, penny stock, uh, penny stocks, psychedelic companies that they are uh, now trying to get into uh, a therapeutical, into the therapeutical uh, industry for uh, yeah, whatever depression and uh, eating disorders, uh, you name it. Uh, they they do it. They do trials on this. I'm very happy about this. I'm even even invested, but it doesn't go. Uh, far enough for me. So I, w I would love to have actually uh, applications of uh, not necessarily the psychedelics because I now I believe that there is other other ways to reach these levels of consciousness too. But uh, it's the first good good thing that they are doing, uh, that they are having a therapeutical approach. But I would l love to see uh, a more uh, spiritual approach because, I mean, humanity at, at its current state is in a very very bad shape. Um, we are we are poor in spirituality, for whatever reason. I think there is plenty plenty of reasons why we are so um, so uh, crippled 
um, uh, spiritually. Oh yeah, there's that word. There's that word. There's that. There's that newly invented word we were using I, for a yeah, while. Despirited. De 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 Despirited. We are despirited. Yeah. Ah, it's a great word. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. E even I told you, uh, I, I what I even liked better was when uh, Friedrich Schiller, the the, the uh, um, German from 1800, something, he he used the term. Uh, and now the the world is uh, becoming degaudent or something, and he's he was very afraid yeah, of. What's it? What is it in uh, German? Uh, ent Entgötterung. <laughs> it's, it's such a beautiful word. Entgötterung. Um, um, yeah, degaudent. Yeah. No, but actually, actually uh, I think we are just uh, spiritually crippled, um, and that's the reason why we are so destructive. Uh, we. Uh, and may, you know that that brings me back. This is how I explain what is what is the ego. What makes us behave so destructive, uh, which only serves our personal uh, uh, personal goals, uh, better bank. Well, we we were we were t we were talking about this, and I was, you know, in trying to dis in trying to discover what we mean by spirituality. I think we're much closer to what, like what we're trying to talk about, like this intersection of like uh, things happening in neurotransmitters and DMT, uh, but also uh, spiritual things, like you feel connected to things. So Yeah, but what, uh, what maybe, is causing you know, this, this uh, feeling of connection? And, and this brings me back to uh, Jeremy Narby's uh, DNA theory. Maybe uh, becoming an egoist or a, a narcissist in the worst case, maybe this is, uh, is the, the result of having a, a DNA that is not interacting uh, uh, with other with the uh, surrounding world and other uh, living creatures because um, it's not uh, uh, triggered by a, a certain level of ke chemical activity in your body uh, so maybe well there is that there is this a notion there is that notion that the ego would get in the way of a trip right like a bad trip could be the result of you fighting what is it the uh, the description of uh, not if there's a if there's a stairway you should take the stairway if there's a door you should go through the door like pe if people resist doing the, that in those trips that's um, that's an expression perhaps of ego and not wanting to open themselves to the connections that are possible and uh, yeah this uh, yeah uh, but what what do we mean by ego I mean narcissism. You know, we were talking about it earlier. Is that uh, is the ego the same for non-Western people as it is for Western people? And I'd say it's it's very different for us. We have this we have this very different sense of ego. But is ego really even the right word? Um, I think there are illnesses of ego, and and they're expressing themselves. Um, but the ego itself, I think, can be empty. I don't think the ego has to be a negative thing. Just like the, the human stomach is not a, a problem in itself, it's just an organ, but you can fill it with problematic foods that will poison your body. And I think the ego is, ego is sort of like the stomach of the spirit. I was talking, we were talking a little bit about that earlier. I don't know what you think about that idea. Ego is the stomach of the spirit. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, I don't know how to define the ego uh, Properly, I think everybody everybody has his or her own definition. Um, I don't think that a person, even in the most uh, healthy environment, uh, uh, 
surrounded by nature and nice people that are generous and hospitable and friendly and polite and whatsoever and you're part of a, a community that that is working on the same things and living together uh, this person all of these people still have um, something that could be considered an ego it's just not a, a, a an ego that that was intoxicated by uh, by a toxic environment um, so so yeah I, I can imagine an ego is something very neutral when you're a newborn baby and then you grow up and all of a sudden uh, there's all these these things that are, are coming towards you and, and that that make you a, a person that is more focusing on on yourself than uh, uh, the rest of the world and, th and I think uh, that's a vicious cycle capitalism uh, is the result of this but also uh, enforces this even more so we become more and more destructive to our to ourselves every generation and and to uh, to the environment because we are uh, we are trapped in this vicious cycle well the ego the ego is um, the the illnesses of ego are certainly encouraged by capitalism you're successful in a capitalist system if you can be more uh, you know, more narcissistic, more ego driven. Yeah, definitely. I mean, probably, but, uh, probably ninety percent of all top managers and and uh, professional sportsmen, or the best of the professional sportsmen and uh, uh, politicians, they are probably uh, very, very, very extreme narcissistic people. Well, I mean, look at look at any of these companies. If you want to rise in the company, you need to make yourself look good, and the people around you that you are competing for promotions look worse than yeah. you. So you, you want to – there's no selflessness. You're not giving to anyone. You want to, you want to hinder others and advance yourself. And so there's, a, there's an implicit uh, dishonesty and separation between people, which is the opposite of the kind of spirituality we're talking about, which is uh, this honest openness and giving to others, which is egoless. But at the same time – and um, this, is one of the, er, this is one of the ideas that I had about the ego – which is this basic root ego, which is just basically the will to survive. Like you choose to not let yourself die. I think that's an expression of ego, but a very basic, basic one. You know, like um, there are all these stories of the Inuit. They would share food with uh, people who were starving, but they would only share food up until a point when they realized that the person who was starving um, – was still going to need more food, the Inuit, Inuit would just leave them because the Inuit still needed enough food for themselves. Food they understood as being common to all. Like if you had food, you'd share it with anyone. It was not – there was no like this is my food, this is your food. No, everybody's food is everybody's food. One day you're the hunter and you might get something good. Someday I might get something good. It's not it, – it's, it's always shared, but it's only shared to the point where your life can be affected. If your life is going, you're going to lose your life by by giving. You don't give anymore. You just you let the person die. Yeah, but I, you know, if if you are probably uh, not skilled enough to hunt in the Amazonian jungle, uh, as as a as a Westerner, uh, I'm pretty sure these Amazonians uh, would feed you for the rest of your lives because they they uh, they just don't care. So what the Inuit uh, did is uh, they had to. Uh, Probably because of the food supply, uh, the animals that can be hunted there—it's—it's uh, it's not in big quantities available. Um, but if this—if the same thing 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 happens in in the Amazon, I think you can live there for the rest of your life, and nobody nobody gives a shit. Um, which yeah, well, it, there was enough food. You're, you're, 
You're right. There's enough food there. And, and, to feed yeah, and, and, even here, and, here, and here in the West, we don't do it even one day because food uh, uh, can be measured by grams and kilograms or whatever, and uh, and by money. I think money is a very big, uh, a big, a major reason why things are got so out of control when it comes to uh, human values. Um, if if something like money was never involved, I think we would share so much more than it, it's a very bad replacement for for trading goods. Because ev everything yeah, it's, can it's be all the time measured somehow. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting that you you bring up uh, the, the trading aspect to it and the money aspect to it as being very disruptive to these these pure, more spiritual ways of living where people are, 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 are living more connected with each other and with nature and doing less harmful things to the world around them um trade is is really an issue you know trade trade is the one way they are able to destroy a lot of these indigenous people they would offer them you know uh metal goods and things like that guns and stuff and it was better for the hunters and the hunters began to say oh yeah this technology is good, I mean, isn't this... but to get this technology, they needed to slaughter a bunch of animals yeah. to get their skins and pelts to trade for the, the weapons. So then they killed the game in their area. Yeah. And they, uh, the, the, the bison the, almost the went extinct of because, of, because of the trade, right? Well, right. You had the white people killing the No, bison, no, all, 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 also all, the, the, also natives. the natives, yeah, who, got, who yeah. got paid in alcohol and things like this uh, just to deliver <laughs> some uh, bison fur or, or meat or whatever. Well, it's one of the dirty secrets is that the, 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 the Indians, the North American Indians were, were doing some of the same slaughters that the white people were doing for, for reasons of trade and goods that they wanted. Yeah, but pro pro and, probably uh, only after the, the Europeans arrived in North America. Before, oh, yeah, right, be, be, right. before that, I'm pretty sure they had a very healthy relationship uh, with the animals that were uh, on, the, on the grasslands. Uh, oh, they did. Yeah, for sure. It was, there was no reason to yeah. slaughter them all like they did to tr trade for something. But it's 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 the it's the um, they weren't they weren't spiritually prepared for these technologies and modes of life, you know. And we were I remember we were talking also a little bit uh, previously about people that in the West had demonstrated spiritual spiritually that they were prepared, and there's only one group, and that's the Amish. Yeah, they just resist basically. I mean, they just uh, uh, use a, take advantage of a very minimal. Uh, of the minimal quantity of the technology that, that would be available to them. So they, they actually uh, acting very wisely. Um, well, they're a group, they're, they're a group that, um, that asks the spiritual question of their technology. Every time they ask how it will affect their community and their values. Yeah. But what, what are they, they using nowadays? Uh, they don't use smartphones. Um, they yeah, but do do they have do they, they have running water or do they have uh, where do they get the water from? Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they have I mean, water. you know, th this is this yeah. is already this is already very uh, highly sophisticated uh, technology, uh, comfort uh, and uh, convenience. I think is is also another reason why people become uh, yeah crippled spiritually or why they become uh, more ego focused because um, if you have to push yourself to do something all the time we we talked about it we have this german expression which is the inner schweinehund the inner pig dog 
Um, <laughs> if if you dog. have to if you have to fight this inner pig dog uh, on a daily basis, probably you are much much stronger person uh, when it comes to uh, being more egoless. Uh, you're definitely more egoless person when you have to deal with a, a discomfort and inconvenience much more often. Well, that's that's part of the spiritual training that I've been working on. You know, if I'm not taking ayahuasca and doing these things, there's still there still is preparation you can do and discoveries to be made. And I I found that um, you know work itself, physical labor, uh, a difficult exercise. You know, this is this these things that are hard to do. This is also a way to to make uh, spiritual connections it, and to it, it, to better yourself in terms of your virtue. It, it, to, to, to to lessen the ego. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? I I am curious about uh, how how your chemical activity looks like or how different it is when you're doing these uh, spiritual battles when you uh, when you do the work better and more perfect than needed and you you do the things that the other ones uh, don't want to do and you just force yourself to do all the shitty shitty stuff so when you when you're doing these battles i would like to know how your for example dmt level uh at this moment you know and and endogenous dmt level at this moment is is in your body and i think already because you you also mentioned to me uh probably for a year that you that you notice some changes which are uh, which you i think describe kind of uh, a, a spiritual changes uh, i i think already y you with the with the uh, your diet and with the workout and now with the, the the physical labor which you try to do as 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 good as possible or better than good as possible um, i think you already you already reached the state um, of chemical activity which is above uh, the average level which you had uh, before all of these um, uh, uh, pig dog battles. Um, well, I will I will say that I feel really good after doing these things. It, the funny thing is about a lot of these hard things to do, like to be very to be completely honest all the time, um, to always tell the truth. To, to never do anything, to, um, to not accept responsibility, to do the job less than perfect, um, to do something less than the standard, to not pick something off the ground that has been dropped, um, to not fix someone else's work when it's wrong, um, to shy away from all of these uh, opportunities actually is destructive in a virtuous sense, but it also makes you feel good to do these things. And so I think there definitely is a chemical reaction going on. I wouldn't feel good otherwise. But at the top, uh, but beyond all of that, I think I am getting to a point of some sort of connectedness. I've mentioned this before, and this, this seems crazy, but I've, I'm seeing evidence of this again and again and again, where I can, by being connected in this way, by being honest and trying to, 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 Co connected to, to purify what? myself virtuously. Connected. I don't know. It's like to all things. It's like this feeling. And, and, th and this um, brings me back to Jeremy Narby's DNA, uh, DNA hypothesis. So maybe by doing all of this, your chemical activi activity is already above the average, which results in uh, a, a, a more talkative or interactive DNA and the frequencies going out from your DNA and, and that are received by your DNA are above the average as well and this is what you uh, describe as the spiritual connectiveness 